Good morning, good evening, and good night. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, welcome to What Lies in the Dark. I'm Jay Yvonne. All your life, you've been taught that the monsters you fear are under your bed and they're hiding in your closet. As you grow older, you find out that monsters aren't real. But are they? They don't hide or go boo in the night. They look just like us. They even live next door. They're our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And sometimes they're even our spouses. This isn't to scare you. It's to keep you vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's to debunk the idea that monsters just simply are not real. Statistics say about 50% of victims know their attackers. That means 50% of the time, you shouldn't fear the unknown monsters in the dark. You must be careful of the monsters you already know. Maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. If you're anything like me, you love true crime. You're simply addicted to trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and the why the psychology of it all. You sit on the edge of your seat trying to piece the puzzle together before the end of the story. So allow me every week to tell you a true crime story. Come feed your true crime addiction with me. Grab your coffee, midday pick-me-up, wine, adult beverage, or whatever you're into. And let's get into this week's story. Welcome back, my true crime junkies. Welcome back, my WLITD family. Thank you again. It's Monday, so we know what that means. Another true crime episode. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Share the podcast. And if you'd like to stay connected, please follow the show on Instagram at WLITD underscore podcast. If you have any case suggestions, shout outs, or you just want to talk, you can email me at WLITD podcast at gmail.com. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of talking this episode. We're going to get straight into it. Um, it's going to be a, a juicy one. All right. So August 1982, Frank Coppola was executed by the electric chair. He was the first person to be um, executed in the electric chair in Virginia since 1962. Frank was convicted of beating uh, Merrill Hatchett to death during a robbery. robbery. He maintained his innocence until the end. After five years on death row, he asked the court to be executed. He was like, I'm tired of waiting. Just go ahead. But his execution went horribly wrong. His head and legs caught fire. There was a sizzling sound and um, the place smelt like burning flesh. 
Smoke filled the chambers from floor to ceiling, and it took two 55-second jolts of electrocution to kill him. And when researching that story, I was like, this sounds a lot like the the um, Mr. Unlucky story that I did a few weeks back um, with the box ex- box execution so if you haven't um, heard that story go back and listen to that episode so anyways fear began spreading throughout the mecklenburg correctional center in virginia those who'd witnessed the execution spread the word that one of the toughest inmates had died a horribly painful death and many feared because they were also on death row that they would suffer the same fate A rumor arose within the facility that a deadly bomb was being made by the prisoners, and the facility decided that they weren't going to take it lightly, so they did a thorough search. They didn't want to risk ignoring the rumor and putting a lot of lives at danger, but they unfortunately didn't find a thing. Not one clue to say that somebody was actually trying to bomb the facility or creating a bomb. So all seemed to be okay. Or was it? Did they just do a really good job at hiding this bomb. On May 31st, 1984, five guards watch over the prisoners as they always did as the the prisoners are outside doing their regular activities, their daily exercise. Willie Turner, one of the inmates, tells uh, one of the guards that he's injured himself and he would like to go back inside early. And another inmate says that he wants to use the restroom. So each one of these inmates takes a guard with them from outside. They're um, they're messing with the prisoner to guard ratio. There's no head count done when the other inmates return inside. So no head count was done to, to show that there are two inmates that are missing, nor there are two guards that are also missing. Earl Clinton enters the guard's restroom unseen and waits for the signal. He locks the door. The locked door was noticed, but no one thought anything of it. That night, an inmate asked the guard to pass a book to another inmate. While the guard was distracted, Earl comes out of the restroom and hits the button in the control room, releasing all of the other inmates. The inmates had watched the officers' normal routines, and they noted any security measures that they failed to follow. All the locks on the cell block were released. The inmates took over with handmade weapons and blindfolds and bound any officers they came in contact with. Once they were detained, the inmates would then take their guard's uh, uniform. So every time that they detained a guard, every time they um, bound them, tied their hands, etc., they would then take that guard's uniform. Officer Smith is worried um, because she remembers that an inmate reported that he was hurt while he was out um, getting his yard time, but paramedics have never been called. She also notes that during the hour, several of her co-workers have gone up to the death row floor, but none of them have come back. And she's beginning to like question where's everybody going and why is anybody coming back? And again, the guard to prison ratio is being messed with. So the inmates have taken those guards that went up to the death row block hostage. In less than three minutes, the prisoners had full control over the pod. One by one, they take each guard hostage, blindfold, and take their uniforms. They do this by faking different emergencies and luring guards into the pods. 
The hostages were then put into the janitor's closet. James Briley grabs a TV as he plans to use it to portray it as a bomb. Now that they have full control, they have to use it to get out of the building. In the control room, Officer Smith is still waiting to hear back because she's been phoning and paging and all that, trying to get a hold of someone to figure out what's going on. So she's waiting to hear back from the officers who went up to the death row block. Lieutenant Johnson is forced to make a call. He tells Officer Smith that someone is coming to relieve her. Because this is her supervisor, she doesn't question anything. She doesn't ask who's coming to relieve her. She just does what she's told. Derek and Earl, two inmates in their stolen uniforms, now head to the control room. Officer Smith has no idea that these are not guards and these are inmates because she's never actually seen them in that capacity. She hasn't worked in this unit before. Um, she hasn't worked in the death row unit to know that these are prisoners. And of course, they're in uh guard uniform and her superior told her that somebody was coming to relieve her so she opens up the the secure door and she is then taken hostage they have control over all the prison doors now because she was in the control room there's only one way to get in and out of the prison and it's through a double gate and protocol says that only one gate should be opened at a time so they have to figure out how to get someone to come in and open both gates so that they can um, they can release themselves so james another inmate forces lieutenant johnson to make another call this time he's instructed to call for a van he tells the van that there's an emergency and the van must be brought around to the double gates once the prisoners press the button to open the stairwell doors the rest of them head to the loading dock they no longer leave the, need the lieutenant, so they leave him tied up and blindfolded in the stairwell while the inmates continue their planned escape. Someone is stationed in the control room to help them getting in and out of these different doors, secure building, secure pods and stairwells and things of that nature. So the van is their plan of how they're going to get out of here. So they're calling a van to come in and they're saying that there's an emergency and this van is going to have to go through those double doors. The six prisoners then raid the closet for riot gear to further disguise, them, disguise themselves and to protect themselves. They then place the TV on a stretcher and put a blanket over it. Remember earlier, the facility was checking the unit because of a bomb rumor. For months, the prisoners had leaked the rumor that there was a bomb being built in the C-Pod. While the prisoners get to the van, James informs them that there's a live explosive that might go off at any minute. The bomb is already smoking and one of the crew members says that he's going to spray it down really quick to cool it off. The officers are terrified and they just believe him. The bomb, air quotes, was actually sprayed with a fire extinguisher so that it appeared to be smoking. The bomb was taken out of the double-gated entrance without any damage. Crisis averted, right? Wrong. What everyone believed to be a bomb removal was actually a well-calculated prison escape. The prison was now in the hands of the inmates, and six death row inmates had now escaped. These escapees included James and Linwood Briley, brothers, Earl Clinton, Lynn Tuggle, Derek Peterson, and Willie Leroy Jones, all on death row for taking lives. The total time that it took for them to successfully escape was two hours, 
and now they were roaming free. The escaped prisoners realized that them driving around in this white van is probably not very smart, that they're probably going to get caught in the prison van because people are probably looking for it, and it is a white van. So they decide that they need to ditch it, but they are arguing. They can't agree on what their next move is, where they're going to ditch it, what they're going to do, etc. So while in North Carolina, they split up and abandoned the van in a schoolyard. After about four hours, the van is spotted. Police begin searching it. They find the riot gear and the television, but unfortunately they find nothing to help them determine where the escapees have gone. A team is set up, and since they have crossed state lines, the FBI is now being called. Everybody is placed in a hotel and um, on site, and they're all dispatching information to one another, state troopers, Um, police officers, FBI, any state agency that they can call in is called into this hotel and they're all stationed there trying to figure out what they need to do because they know that releasing the information to the public that um, death row inmates have escaped is going to cause mass hysteria. So officers are dispatched and helicopters are put in the sky to search for these dangerous killers. Each cell was searched thoroughly, but nothing was there. They didn't leave any clues as to where they were heading, and because the guards didn't have any information, they were suspected to have helped the inmates escape. What was thought to be a bomb evacuation turned out to be a prison escape. Six of Virginia's most notorious death row inmates were now free. It's the first time death row inmates have escaped, and the news is sending shockwaves through the media and the community. A manhunt is in full effect and officials from all over are dispatched. Helicopters are scanning the perimeter and roadblocks are set. They know that this time is of the essence. The longer that these prisoners are out, the harder that it will be to capture them. The people in the community are scared and they're afraid. They've become leery of any officers. They take up purchasing weapons. Um, They're not really answering their doors. They are scared and they're afraid. Earl and Derek switch out their prison guard uniforms for sweatpants and sweatshirts that they found on the way. Earl kept on the guard jacket, but took off the patches thinking that it would be less um, suspicious. So they enter into a laundromat and police happen to drive by the laundromat while they're in there and they can see them. They spot a man wearing a guard uniform and convinced that this is one of their escapees, they want to go ahead and arrest him before he can run. After 19 hours free, the two are finally caught not far from where they escaped. So they did not get far from the prison yard after 19 hours. Liam and Willie make their way to Vermont. They plan to try to get into Canada because Canada won't extradite them back even though they're, you know, prisoners, they're escapees. Um, So Canada is where they want to be, except the vehicle that they've been using is low on gas. They need to find some money and fast. Liam leaves Willie and drives back to a store that he spotted earlier. Waiting to make his move, he asks the clerk for something to drink. When she returns, he pulls out a knife and asks for the money in the register. He gets out of there with less than $100. Once he's he has the money and he runs out, the woman notes the car that he gets into and writes down the license plate number to call it in. 
Liam is spotted driving down the wrong side of the road right into a constable. The constable knows that he is looking for Liam because he recognizes the license plate in the vehicle, so he makes a U-turn and he begins pursuit. They now have him boxed in. They don't they don't know because he has taken lives before what decision he's going to make. Will he decide to engage with the officers or go in without a fight? Lim stops and pulls over and he is apprehended after 10 days. Willie is now lost and walking since Liam has not returned. He's tired of being on the run and he wants to turn himself in. So the following day, he calls and he informs a dispatcher of who he is and where he is. And they manage to determine that he is just five miles out from Canada. He tells them that he's unarmed. And when they get to him, he is cold and he is hungry. And he is just, he's been bit up by um, insects and he's just over it. And he seems to be relieved when they get there and they arrest him. After 19 days, the FBI think that they have their last two escapees. They're in North Philadelphia. Police confirm that they got the mint. Police confirm that they are who they're looking for and they decide to move in. Once surrounded and they both confirm their identities, they are arrested. The manhunt is finally over and tensions can now calm down, die down. The death row inmates all faced their executions finally. Linwood Briley, October 1984. James Briley, April 1985. Earl Clinton, April 1988. Derek Peterson, August 1991. And Willie Jones, September 1992. Sorry, and Lim Tuggle, December 1996. So even though they tried to not face execution, they still ended up facing ex execution at their own times, own rates. Following the escape, the facility went through some reforms and several of the staff were forced to resign. Educational programs and work details were then introduced. The staff received better training that helped them reduce the prisoner abuse and the cases for prisoner abuse began to decrease. In 1993, the police, the in 1993, the prison was proposed for closure. Instead, they decided to reclassify the prison from a maximum security to a minimum security intake facility. In 2011, the facility was ordered to be closed. At that time, it was only being used to house inmates short term. They that It was there that they were classified and reassigned to another prison. And that is today's story of the six inmates, the six, the first six inmates to attempt to or to attempt and successfully escape a maximum security facility, um, how they were caught and um, how that promoted change and re reform in the prisons. So again, as always, I thank you for taking the time to let me tell you the story. Um, I thank you so much for tuning in for another Monday episode with me. If you would like to see the six inmates who um, managed to escape the prisons, uh, follow the show on Instagram at WLITD underscore podcast. And if you would like to send case suggestions or um, shout outs or anything of that nature that you can't do on Instagram, email it to me at WLITD podcast at gmail.com. 
all right everybody i'm out i'll see you um next monday remember to um don't just to check up on people but to be there be present to love one another be kind to one another support one another be a helping hand to one another and watch out for what lies in the dark i'll see you next week for another episode to help feed your true crime addiction